Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It's just, it's, I just felt like I was supposed to, this is a, this is a freebie here. I feel like I was supposed to share this scripture. I think sometimes, um, sometimes religion and maybe some lies that we've been taught since we were young uh, can get us confused easily. And I just had this thought, like, I wonder if anybody in here is wondering, you know, when we had, we're praying for people and, and we're having, you know, you lay hands on someone if, cause I, how many of you guys did not grow up in a church where that was normal? This is, in other words, what you just saw was really abnormal from how you grew up. <laughs> I just, I, and I think that's just the norm. I think there's so many things. I was sharing with someone in the pre-service, uh, one of our pre-service meetings, about how sometimes we go through life and we have a, you know, we've been in church or we haven't been in church, but we hear things and we're like, wait a minute. I, I remember we, we used to always say uh, this little phrase. Is that even a scripture or was that just a song or was that a Led Zeppelin lyric or what, what was that, you know? But I just, I think sometimes it just makes it, it's easy, it's easier when we see it in the word. Mark 16, chapter 17 and 8, Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 says this, and says, and these signs shall follow those who believe, which means Christians. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about Christians. And these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Uh-oh, are y'all one of those churches? They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now, that's talking about something specific, a specific uh, story in the Bible. But then it says this, then they will do what? They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Did you know laying hands on people and them recovering is supposed to be the norm for Christians? How many of you guys know that Mark, this came out of the book of Mark, how many of you guys know it's in the New Testament? This isn't some Old Testament story. This isn't something written from a prophet who was running around with his hair on fire and naked in the streets. This is New Testament Jesus theology to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So some of you are thinking, great, he's already said naked once already in the service. So off to a good start. So, <laughs> Well, we're in the middle of a series. First of all, I guess my name, I should tell you my name. My name is Braden. I'm the pastor here at Renew Life Church. And if you're a first-time guest, we just want to welcome you. Can we welcome all of our first-time guests? Glad you're here with us today. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called The Garden. Josh started this series about four weeks ago. Uh, we had a guest speaker in between, and I picked up uh, kind of where he left off last week, and we want to continue with that this week. But I want to read a scripture uh, that I read last week that was kind of a bit of a foundation for what we'll still continue to talk about today in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, also known as too good to be true. Too good to be true. Turn to your neighbor and say, too good to be true. According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I grew up hearing this scripture. I, I grew up confessing this scripture and, and always reminding ourselves. My mom and dad did a great job of always reminding us that God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He's going to do things that are too good to be true. I heard it. I just didn't see it my whole life. Anybody else can relate to that? You've heard it. You just hadn't always seen it. And last week, we kind of brought to light this idea that there's potentially only two human beings other than Jesus himself two human beings that have ever lived in this place of always experiencing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that they could ask or think, and that was Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve lived in the perfect environment that God created for them to live in. Actually, it's the same environment he created you and I to live in as well. What the Garden of Eden tells us about our lives is this garden, anything we see in the garden, any principle we see in the garden, that was supposed to be the standard of living for you and I. It wasn't supposed to be an abnormal, uh, an abnormal situation or a one-off situation. The Garden of Eden represents what should be the standard of living for me and you. Adam's sin took us out of the garden. Jesus' sacrifice got us back in. I'll say it again. Adam's sin, one man's sin, got us out of the garden. It got us out of the place where we had access to the things that the garden teaches us. But one man's sacrifice, his name is Jesus, got us access by faith to everything that is in the garden. And so it's very important that we start to understand that we were called to live by that standard. Anything less than unlimited resource, we're living below the standard God's called us to live. If you're living with need in your life, how many of you guys believe Adam and, Eve had, Adam and Eve had no need? They had every need met. They had unrestricted access to the presence of God. They had a beautiful relationship with him. All of those things, if we're not living to that standard, then we hadn't gotten there yet. Who wants to get there? Who wants to live in a place where you don't have a need? How many of you guys go, well, that's, that's Ephesians 3, 3.20 actually, exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. That's what he's called us to live in. He's called us to live from that place. And so I, I want us to look at a couple of things that help us see uh, how we access some of this. You look in, and we, we talked about the two trees in the garden, the tree of life. How many of you guys, it sounds pretty simple, tree of life. It should be in the garden of Eden. Sounds good. But there was this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we learned last week that in this perfect environment, there is still this tree that comes with a commandment. There is still this tree that has a bit of an assignment on our lives, an assignment on our heart. What was that assignment? To continually position our hearts that he, he's not just our provider, that he is our Lord. In that garden, he had already provided everything that Adam and Eve needed. But there existed this one tree, this one commandment, whose sole, whose sole job was to position them in a, in a place, in Adam, Adam and Eve's heart towards God, where you are Lord. My feelings are not Lord. What this snake tells me is not Lord. You are Lord. When he is Lord, we have access to the garden. When he is not Lord, we do not. When he is Lord, when we, we position him as Lord, what is Lord? I wrote this down last week. Lord is a, the master, the person of supreme power, supreme authority, the ruler, and the governor. When we position our hearts towards God that you are the supreme authority, you are the master, you are the ruler, you are the governor, then we've positioned ourselves exactly where we need to be to experience the Garden of Eden in our lives. We also read this scripture last week in Psalms chapter 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes we quote the back half of that scripture because it's more fun to quote. You know, the Lord wants to give you the desires of your heart. He wants to give you the, he wants to give you the desires of your heart. You're 100% right. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. But before the desires of your heart come, what happens? Delighting yourself in the Lord. Finding the light and allowing him to be the Lord, the governor, the ruler, the supreme authority in your life. It is God's desire that we live in the garden, but it is his requirement that he is Lord. 
It is his desire that we live from that place in the garden in relationship with him, free from guilt and shame, not having any need, even having a purpose, having an assignment, having a job to expand his kingdom. All of those are things that are part of his desire for you and I. But his requirement is that to access that, he is the Lord of our lives. Amen? I want to continue that conversation today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is what we're going to read. This is an interesting story. Actually, I think it's the, the perfect story to illustrate some of the things we're talking about today. I mean, you guys grew up in church hearing about Jonah and the whale. Heard Jonah and the whale. I, t- I thought about this the other day. I was like, I don't think I've ever preached on Jonah and the whale. This will be fun. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Check this out. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah. Another, uh, your, your more... Uh, uh, King James, New King James versions, they actually say the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. So here we have Jonah and the Lord saying, Jonah, go this way. And Jonah goes, got it. I'm going this way. Anybody else been guilty of that? Lord saying, I need you to go this way. Yes, sir. I'm going this way. <laughs> he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship traveling for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went aboard, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the, that's a funny word to say. Tarshish? Tarshish? But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? For some reason, he sounds like a pirate to me in my head. I just (laughs) felt like that was necessary at that moment. Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for what cause this trouble has come upon us. Casting lots is, is shown up, it shows about 70 times in Scripture. There's no real uh, detail as to exactly what it was, but they, they, theologians say it's about, the, it's about like flipping a coin or rolling dice, something to say, hey, let's, let, let's see what God's saying, and they'd flip a coin and whatever the coin or the, whatever the stick, draw the short stick, whatever, it was one of those kinds of deals, and apparently God used it. They said to come another, let us cast lots, for we may know who it causes this trouble has come upon us. It says, so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Turn to your neighbor and say, busted. <laughs> you ever been busted before? Anybody else been busted? Isn't it the worst feeling in the world when you get busted? And then you get mad at the person that busted you like they're the one that did it? <laughs> well, you got to bring up old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the worst is getting busted by your grandparents. Anybody ever been busted by your grandparents? Because they, they never get on to you. They always give you everything that you want. And then when you disappoint them and they bust you, it's like you really feel like you could just crawl under a rock. I remember when I was in high school, <laughs> I, this was before I was uh, submitting to the WWJD bracelet that was on my wrist. And um, 
So there was a, there was a side of me that I don't like to bring up. Uh, and so I, I had had a party. My granddad had a place out in the, I lived in a little small town. And, and so we had, he had a, a pond out in this canyon. And so I would tell my granddad, hey, me and my friends, we want to go camping. Anybody else ever gone camping? Yeah, so we went camping. We did actually camp. Uh, but there were some alcoholic beverages involved and, and we were acting crazy. And so the next day I thought I'd gotten away with it. And my granddad shows up at my house. And of course, everybody wants to see Peepaw. Everybody, anybody got a Peepaw? Pawpaw, Papaw, Poopaw, one of the paws. Peepaw pulls into the driveway and it's like, oh, Peepaw's here. I'm going to see what Peepaw's got to say. So I walk outside and, and he, he just has this different look on his face. And I'm like, uh oh, something's wrong with Peepaw. And he says, uh, he just walks up real, just stone cold, has something in his hand, and he says, uh, open your hand. So I open my hand and he starts dropping beer bottle caps in my hand. He goes, next time you go camping, clean up your mess and turned and walked off. <laughs> Just tore me up. It's like, I'd rather people be like mad and screaming and yelling. and Just next time you go camping. <laughs> clean up your mess. So it, it, I got busted. Uh, I actually busted Leanne one time. And for those of you who've been, uh, <laughs> put bottle caps in her hand. No, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> I busted her one time. We, and of course, if you've been around very long, you probably heard this, this story. I, I've shared this before because we, you know, we've had our own struggles in our marriage. We've been very open uh, about some of the things that we've had to work through. I, I remember this particular time, very difficult time for us. Uh, we were, um, I was looking for the remote control. <laughs> and I looked everywhere, and I, 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 I thought to myself, the remote control must be in the couch. It must be hidden in the couch. And so I start digging in the couch, looking for the remote control, and I just feel this wad of paper. And I was like, what in the world is this? And so I pull back the cushion to find no less than 20 baby Snicker wrappers. <laughs> I, I pulled back the deal. And of course, you think the first thing I thought was like, which one of the kids put baby Snicker wrappers in the couch? But we didn't have kids. We had Leanne. And I said, how bad a day must it be that you need 20 baby Snickers? And then I come in and you stuff them in the couch and then you forget they're in there. So anyway, that was the one time I, I busted Leanne. Um, <laughs> Jonah gets busted as the story goes on he, he, they, they, they cast lots it's Jonah it's him he goes ahead and tells him look I'm actually running from the Lord I'm running from the Lord he told me to do something I'm not doing it uh, y'all need to chunk me overboard that's the only way you're going to get saved and they're like no we don't want to do it so they tried a few other things but finally they realized this is the only way we're going to live so they, they you know how the story goes they throw lo Jonah over the edge of the ship, and a great fish, we think it's a, some, we say it's a whale because we don't know what other great fish it could have been, uh, but a great fish, potentially a whale, comes and, and swallows Jonah after a season of repenting inside the belly of the whale. How many of you guys think that's probably a good time to repent inside the belly of a whale? You need to get your Jesus back, get your life right, and get focused. And so he repents, the whale spits him up on the shore, and then Jonah, the Lord actually speaks to Jonah again in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spake to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Verse 3, This time Jonah obeyed. 
This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Actually, Nineveh was actually about the size of Midland. It says there was 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh, so it was around the size of Midland. This story is a classic example of someone not allowing God to be the Lord of their life. This is, some, this is a classic example of the word of the Lord coming and someone saying, I know what the word of the Lord is. I'm going to do this. I know the word says to do this, but I'm going to do this. I know God wants me to go this direction. Mm-mm. I'm going this direction. I love Leanne's story about uh, forgiveness, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one for a lot of people because I think one of the hardest things to do is forgive people that have hurt you. The scripture says forgive, and we go, Mm-mm. I'm going this way. Not forgiving. It's a classic example of that. But I want us to see something here. It's not, a, it's not a, some hidden revelation. But when we go against the word of the Lord, when we don't allow him to be the Lord of our life, we welcome unnecessary turbulence in our life. When, we, when the Lord says, I want you to go this way, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Mm-mm, I'm going this way. How many of you guys know that a, a, a storm should not have been in Jonah's future? He shouldn't even been on the boat in the first place. That was not a part of God's plan for his life. How many of you guys believe this? Getting swallowed by a fish was not God's perfect will for Jonah. All of these things, actually, they weren't the judgment of God. They were the correction of God. They were the salvation of God. They were simply things to get Jonah back going in the direction that he should have been going the whole time. But when, we, when, we just, when the Lord is so clear about something, when the word of the Lord comes to us, and we're going to talk about ways that that happens, when the word of the Lord comes, and it's so clear we're supposed to go this way, yet something in us, stubbornness, fear, whatever it is, says, Mm-mm, I'm afraid of that direction, or I don't want to go that direction, and we go this way, all we've done is we've welcomed undue turbulence into our life. We've welcomed storms into our life. I... I there's, there's multiple examples that I can use, and, I, and, and please hear my heart, because none of these examples are intended to be uh, judgmental towards anyone. They're just simply here to, to kind of to, to make a point. But I know all of us know this, mo- or at least I believe most of us know this, but God's will for us is that we do not have sex outside of marriage. How many of you guys believe that's true? How many of you guys believe he's called us to live with one woman? One woman, one wife. That's his perfect plan. But sometimes emotions get involved, physical attractions get involved, stubbornness gets involved, even sometimes insecurity gets involved, and we think, hey, oh, we, I need to do this to, to hold on to this person. What if I never find someone? I need to, I need to show them how I feel, whatever. But when we, when we step outside of God's will for that, I, I've seen this happen multiple times. All of a sudden, you have kids born out of wedlock. wedlock. Then when the kid shows up, the, the dad or the mom, depends on, you never know which one's going to freak out the most about it. But they freak out. Next thing you know, this couple that was so in love and we're going to get married anyway, all of a sudden, they gone. He gone. She gone. Something. And all of a sudden, a, a, a child is being born, uh, a, a being raised in a family with one parent, doesn't understand what it's like to have a father in his life. How many of you guys know that's undue turbulence? Unnecessary turbulence. Is it something to be judged over? No, that's not the point. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about stepping outside of the lordship of God and his way of doing things and welcoming, inadvertently welcoming unnecessary turbulence in our life. What's the point? He's trying to get us in the garden. 
He's trying to get us in the garden. He's trying to get us in good relationships. But sometimes we step outside of that and welcome storms. We welcome some of those things into our lives. I know for me that this is one I, I definitely struggled with early in my life. This is going to be almost impossible for you to believe. But I had a bit of a big mouth. Um, had a bit of a big mouth that I was wanting to spout off and give my opinion and smart off and say this and say that. And the Bible's very clear about we're supposed to be in control of our tongue. It says this, this little bitty member, this little bitty tongue can control our whole lives. Don't judge people with it. Don't, don't, don't involve yourself in crass jokes, the scripture even says. How do you guys know when you, when, you, when you don't have control of your tongue, sometimes you say th- something you should, you should have said about somebody, and then they find out about it, and then all of a sudden they're mad, and then they say something about you to somebody else, and then someone else says, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this fire burning around your life. There's fire, this flame of gossip in, engulfing relationships around you. All because of what? We couldn't keep our tongues in control. Now, was that God's plan? No. That was called a, a unnecessary, unnecessary storm. Unnecessary chaos. Why? Because we didn't submit to the lordship of Jesus. We didn't allow that word. Hey, get control of your tongue. Stay in control of your tongue. I want you to live in the garden. I want you to live in peace. That, that was always one of my... It's not anymore, actually. I conquered that one, uh, just so you know. And you can ask my wife. I never say anything I'm not supposed to say anymore. Uh, but we have to address this thing. We have to address this thing in our heart. And, and, and I want to, that next week we're going to talk about something. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit. But I want to talk about just the fact that uh, the Word of God is the same thing as God Himself. When we look at these scriptures, when we read these scriptures, they are the exact same as if God himself showed up and spoke the word to us. We have to believe that it's, it's very simple, but it's very, very powerful. These words are God. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. You know, there are times in our lives where we're like, man, I wish God would speak. I wish God would speak to me. Did you know all you have to do at times is open up this right here, and all of a sudden he's speaking? Well, which one do I, which one do I read? Any of them. Which, one are, which one's his will? All of it. Every single thing in this Bible is the word of God. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit into the hearts and the minds of men who were submitted to him it went through their mind and through their filter, but it was exactly his words. This, the, the fact that this is the word of God is one of the foundational truths to being a Christian. Well, I think, I think if, as long as I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven. This tells me otherwise. Well, I, think I, I don't think I have to be married. To, I don't think I need to be married. I don't, there, all these opinions. No, no. According to this, it says otherwise. This has to be the final authority in every area of our lives. The Word of God is the same as God himself. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. I just want to, I want to give you four things. Four things really quick. This will, th- these are very practical, and I know the emotional Holy Spirit music's already playing, but these are very, very practical. 
But I, I, I wanna give you four things that the word of God will never be subject to. No matter what happens, the word of God will never be subject to these things. Number one, the word of God will never be subject to our opinions. If you go on and read this, the, this story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale, you find out why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. He's like, well, Lord, I, I, I didn't want to go because I know you. And you're so merciful and gracious and loving. And these people are punks. And I knew if I went, I'd, I'd, I'd prophesy judgment against them if they didn't change. And then they'd probably change. And then you'd probably love them anyway and forgive them anyway. And you need to burn them not love him. What, what was in his heart? In his opinion, here's what God should do. But he kind of knew what he would do. So he said, fine, your opinion in this, is this direction. I'll just go this way. Because my opinion is different than your opinion. The word of God has never been, nor will it ever be, subject to our opinion. Does it mean that some of our opinions can't be good? No. Sometimes you will have opinions that will get in line with what? The Word of God. That's a, good opinion to th that's a good opinion to have. But if your opinion is outside of the Word, the Word will not change for your opinion. Your opinion should change for the Word. Every time you're willing to change an opinion according, because of what the Word says, because of what the Scriptures teach, and you say, you know what? I used to think this and I used to feel this, but I've now discovered that the Word says this. Every time you side on the word side, all you've done is take one more step into the Garden of Eden. All you've taken is one more step closer to unlimited resource. One more step closer to an amazing relationship with God. Because my opinion is not Lord. The word of God is Lord of my life. Number two, the word of God will never be subject to logic. The word of God will never be subject to logic. There will be things that the scriptures will teach you to do that will make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And if you, especially if you're one of the analytical kind like me, black and white, any other analytical people, black and white, anybody? Great, I'm the only one. Yeah, right, liars. But there will, the, the scripture will tell you, one of the hardest ones, one of the hardest ones for people to deal with, it seems like, is tithing. It's one of the most difficult ones for people to, to deal with. The Bible says I'm supposed to give up 10% of my income to the church. Well, how do I know what the pastor's doing with that money? How do I know? And, and why, why, why shouldn't I? I mean, the Bible says you're not supposed to be in debt. So maybe I'll start tithing when I get out of debt. And we can make it super logical as to why we don't. And we'll explain ourselves to the point where we're actually smarter than the scriptures. It's like, I know it says give 10%, but I've got this plan, you see. And logically, it just doesn't make sense. If you look at the interest rate and the equator and the parameters and the decimals and pi, r squared. And we'll, we'll get so logical that we, we will have convinced ourselves that, you know what, I know it says that, but it just makes more sense not to at this stage of our lives. The Bible, the Word of God is not subject to your logic. If you want exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think, you might be asked to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you thought you'd have to do. You ever considered that? That maybe, oh, I, I want it, I, I want it, I want more than I can even imagine, better, better than I could have hoped for. You might be asked to do some things like, ugh, I didn't think you'd want that. 
I, think he, I didn't think he'd ask me that. That doesn't make sense. The Word of God is not subject to our logic. Number three, the Word of God will never be subject to our feelings. The Word of God will never be subject to our feelings. There will be times where your feelings, and Josh did a great job of illustrating this earlier. We allow a thought in, all of a sudden that thought starts to dictate feelings in our life. The Word of God is never subject to how you feel. You won't always feel like doing certain things. I'll put it this way. You will never feel like praying for your enemies. But the Bible says to do that. Did you know it was a feeling, a, 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 an issue in the sensories that got Adam and Eve taken out of the garden in the first place? It says they looked at the tree and the fruit looked delicious. Well, if it looks delicious, it must be okay. I mean, after all, I, I, I feel like I want it. So I think I should have it because that's what I, I feel like. This is, a, this is a tough one for me because... I, I believe God wants us to be in touch with the feeling side of God. That, that, was, a, that was something that the Lord began, a journey the Lord began to take me on about four or five years ago, where it's like, hey, you need to get out of your head. You need to embrace your whole soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, gentlemen. You have them. You might have to go on a quest to find them. And then an archaeological dig to co- uncover them. But they're in there. And I'll just tell you this right now. God has emotions too, and you'll never experience all of God if you don't learn to experience all of your emotions. It's just the way it is. I don't have time to prove in Scripture, but I'm right. Just believe me. The, the Word of God is never subject to our emotions. Our culture is starting to teach us, and that's number four, because and and these kind of go together. Number four, the Word of God is never subject to our culture. And I'll tell you, that's probably one of the hardest things to fight as what I'll call a modern-day believer is culture. Culture. Culture has a strong pull on us. You remember when it used to be automatic that if it's a Disney movie, kids can go see it? Remember that? And some of you are thinking, I thought it still was. I I thought that was what we were doing, just going to see a Disney movie. See, our culture, well, let me, let me, I'll say it a different way. Remember when PG-13 was actually PG-13? What are we watching? We're watching the demise in some ways of cultural norms. Used to, if you went to a PG-13 movie, there were certain things you weren't going to see. There were certain words you were not going to hear. There was a, the, the, the line, culture always moves the line away from God. It's moving the line away. But did you know that does not change what the Word says? I don't care what culture calls PG-13. I I, I, want to talk to parents for just a second because I have a a burden in my heart for the youth of today because they um, they are suffering from consequences that are not their fault. The problem with the youth today, and I don't need to be, I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm just, just bear with me. The problem with some of the youth today is actually a problem with the parenting today. And I don't think we've done it on purpose. But that pull of culture has caused us to say, okay, well, this is kind of the cultural norm. If I want my kid to fit in, if I don't want them to be made fun of at school, if I don't want this or that, we give in to culture instead of standing firm on the Word. 
I remember going through this with my daughters. There were certain things I didn't want my daughters exposed to at an early age. Trust me, the desire for boys will come soon enough. I did not feel like I needed to fan that flame. I did not feel like when my daughters were five, six, seven, eight years old that I thought, you know what? It's cute. Won't you go to with so-and-so to homecoming? It's cute. After all, what's the harm in two little kids going to homecoming together? Did I miss an amen? I thought, was there not one? Not, not even one, huh? Now, is that, is, that, um, is that being judgmental? No, but let's, let's just let's, let's back it up a notch. Oh, y'all are going to homecoming. How cute. Won't you guys just, let's just take a little picture together. Uh, little Johnny, would you put your arm around Susie? It'll be so cute. And all of a sudden, for the first time, he's like, I don't think she got cooties. She got something else making butterflies in my stomach going right now. And all of a sudden, we're fanning the flames of desire in five, six, seven, and eight-year-old little kids. Because it's the cultural norm. You know why? Because Disney does it. You turn on Disney Channel anymore, every single... I sound like I'm anti-Disney. I'm not anti-Disney. But there's certain channels that you turn on that, to watch these kids show, every one of them, almost every single episode, it's about dating. It's about dating. It's about relationships. It's about love. It's about kissing. It's about hug. It's about all those things. Now, guess what? All of those things are good in their time. All those things are good in their time. But if we start allowing culture to tell us what the norm should be instead of this word framing what the norm should be, not only are we walking out of the garden, but we're escorting our kids out of the garden. Instead of saying, you know what, I know this is what's going on and I know you're gonna look, you may look like a weirdo if you're not the, I mean, I'm having to deal with this at home right now. My, my, my daughter's the only one, it seems like, in the world that doesn't get to date. We, we, we just, and again, I, and we'll get into some more of this next week because I want us to start leaning into the, 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 the Lordship of the Holy Spirit next week. We're going to talk about the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. It's, this is our starting point, the Lordship of the Word, the black and white. You can read it. There's no negotiating. There's no gray. It's pretty simple. But next week, I want to start leading us beyond just the black and the white. What's that still small voice on the inside saying? Because that's still small, small voice on the inside is just as much, Lord, as these black and white words in this book are, Lord. And uh, we'll get to some of that next week. But that's, that's all for now. If you get, just go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head. I'll ask you a couple questions, then we'll wrap up. Super, super simple. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know that Jesus is the Lord of your life, you don't know for sure if heaven is your future home, you don't know where you would go if something were to happen to you if you left here. And, and, and didn't return home, if you just don't know, there's no need in leaving without knowing. There's no, no use in leaving here today without being fully persuaded and confident. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You'll never do enough good to deserve heaven. So Jesus did enough good for all of us, and then he gave us that gift for free, and all we have to do is accept it. Accept Jesus and his life as our Lord. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.